So let us uh, go now into our teaching for today. We are continuing in a series that I began last week called Fearless Prayer. And so this week we are going to be starting what's going to be a two-part sermon, really, uh, on faith and prayer. And we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 20. So I'll give you just a moment to turn there in your Bibles, Mark chapter 11, verse 20. If you can't find it or if you don't have your Bible with you, that's all right, because we're going to have the words on the screens next to me. So you guys will be able to follow along there as I read it. No one will be left behind. So once again, we're going to be in Mark chapter 11 and starting in verse 20. One more time, we're in Mark chapter 11, verse 20. We'll have the passage on the screen next to me there, so we'll all be able to follow along together. So in Mark chapter 11, verse 20, it says, Early in the morning, as they were passing by, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. Then Peter remembered and said to him, being Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. Jesus replied to them, Have faith in God. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, Be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, everything you pray and ask for, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. I read this quote last week, but I'm going to read it again. And, you know, I might just start every single sermon in this series with this quote to remind us. There was a pastor uh, in, who wrote in the mid to late 1800s into the early 1900s. He spent three years, I'm actually, I think I got it wrong last week, I, that he was a doctor. He spent three years practicing law before God called him into the ministry. Um, and he had a long career in ministry. He wrote many books, but in his book, Power and Prayer, he said this, What the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more and novel methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men, men of prayer." As I talked about earlier in the announcements, we desire to be a church that knows God, that knows God not just uh, in a sense of comprehending some uh, intellectual propositions, right? Now, we want to know God rationally, intellectually. We want to know the truth in our minds, but we also want to know him in experience. We want to experience in our hearts, our souls, in our lives, the power of the truths that we hold in our mind. We want to know God, and we want this knowledge of God in us as individuals and as a community to explode out in the kingdom advancing over Lafayette, over Acadiana, until we see the day where all of Acadiana, uh, where all of Acadiana, every square inch is underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ. And if we're going to do that, we need more than just sermons, as vital and as core as they are to what the church is and does. We need more than just sermons. We need more than just new studies. We need more than just new curriculums. We need more than just new ministry strategies. But what we need is to know God in prayer. For it is in the core, the the vital, essential disciplines of prayer and worship that the truths that fill our mind, praise the Lord, right, become real 
and knowing him experientially. It's a core foundation. If we miss this, then everything else, all of our learning, all of our attempts and strategies and our planning is for naught. If we miss prayer, if we dedicate ourselves to the school of learning, but not the school of prayer as well, then we have wasted our time and attempted to follow a man-made vision and man-made power. So we dedicate ourselves to become men and women that the Holy Ghost, as Bound said, can use. Men and women who are mighty, a church that is mighty in prayer. So that's why we're doing this series. I told you this series is called Fearless Prayer. Um, and, you know, typically whenever a teacher of the Bible sits down to work on a new series, there's a couple of different ways you can approach it. And I approached the crafting of this series and especially the, the, the verses, the passages of Scripture we're using, um, to be honest, very subjectively. Because what I did is I just went through and I looked at, uh, a, at many, many, many passages and verses in Scripture that deal with prayer. And I looked at the ones, and I, many of them already already knew, um, but I looked at the ones that, to put it, to put it this way, scare me the most, that challenge me the most, most that challenge my faith the most, that I have, that I wrestle with, and that I struggle with, and I chose those to be what we would use for this series, believing that God's leading me would be beneficial to our church too. And I've got to admit to you that the verses that we're doing today, you know, have you ever had some verses of this Bible challenge you? Have you ever had some challenge you? Really make you turn your head? You know, whenever a dog gets confused, they turn their head. You know, so I guess, I guess I do that too. You know, they make you turn your head. They make you question. They make you sit back. Maybe they make you stop in your tracks of reading and just say, whoa. <laughs> right? I, oh, that one is hard. That's a hard pill to swallow. That, one, that one's hard to grasp and hold on to and act out. Have you ever had passages that challenge you like that? For me, this one might be number one. In all my years of following Christ and reading scripture, this is one of the ones that has wrecked me and challenged me and that I've wrestled with more than any other of the so-called difficult passages in scripture. Because the other so-called difficult passages in scripture, and we've gone through some of them here at Redeemer, you know, it's usually, it's problems that we can work out with the mind, but this one goes straight to the heart. I also have to confess that in over a decade of preaching and teaching now, I've never been as intimidated by a passage that I am tasked with bringing before the saints of God. Nevertheless, we're going to be spending two weeks looking at this passage and considering what it means to have faith and prayer. I have one point today on faith and prayer. That's what we're going to look at, and then we're going to continue working it out next week. But before I get to that one point on what faith and prayer is, we're going to talk about what it is not. A couple months ago, you guys might remember, if you've been here for a little while, or uh, you know, unless you're new, a couple months ago, we had a guest speaker come in. Uh, he's a, a Christian philosopher, one of the top Christian philosophers alive today. His name is Douglas Grotheis. And he came in and he preached a phenomenal sermon. You can go back on our YouTube, our, our podcast archive to listen to it. He preached a phenomenal sermon reminding us and encouraging us that we ought to test the spirits. He preached this from 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. 
that it is our, one of our tasks as believers, uh, living well and obediently to God to test the spirits. And what, he, what we mean by that practically in the world, um, you know, because like, we don't have like a, a you know, maybe you have, uh, I have like a, a water testing meter that I use to test my water because I'm paranoid and I want, I want uh, zero water. And so, you know, I test that, but like, what does it mean to test the spirit? So we don't have any kind of device we can just wave around in the air, you know, that catches one and test it for us. Well, what it means is, is we look around the world and we look at the, the teachings that we find in the world. We look at the movements we find in the world, the spiritualities we find in the world, and we test the spirits we test these teachings. We test the worldviews. We test, test the truth claims. We test the uh, spiritualities that are, uh, that are around us in the world. This is what it means to test the spirits. Our tool, our, our, our meter that we use is the word of God. And I think it's important that we start today testing the spirits when it comes to the question of what does it mean to have faith in prayer? Because there are many false teachings on prayer out there today, uh, many that are also flown under the name of Christianity, but do not resemble what God's word teaches, and so therefore is false. There are many false teachings and things that it means, that, that it does not mean to have faith in prayer. And so I think it's important that we start there today. So I'm going to give you uh, just several, you know, we could, I'm sure there's more we could go into, but I'm going to give you just uh, several things that faith and prayer does not mean, and I'm also limiting myself to those that are uh, usually taught by so-called Christian teachers, um, because of course we could look at prayer and other religions, but that's not really in our purview today. So, first of all, faith and prayer is not positive affirmations. Maybe you have been taught before that essentially what you need to do um, to receive those things that you need or desire from God is to make positive affirmations that they're already yours. Maybe you've heard this before in teachings uh, such as from, there there was this hit book um, around 2008, somewhere between 2006, 2008, I remember, uh, this book called The Secret. Maybe some of you guys remember The Secret. You know, it was really pushed by big names like Oprah, but it was also pushed by some, uh, by some Christian names as well. And people are trying to say, oh, look, you know, uh, The Secret is God. And essentially, all you have to do is say, you know, uh, uh, I have perfect health. If you're sick, all you got to do is say, I have perfect health and make that positive affirmation. And then you will be healed because what you attract to yourself through your affirmations, will come true. There was the new age form of this, pushed by, like I said, those like Oprah, where you know the, the law of attraction was just like this force out there. But then there are also those, like I said, in the church who try to say, well, that's God, right? God is the one who, who responds to our affirmations. If we're making negative affirmations about ourselves, well, then life will go poorly. But if we're making positive affirmations about ourselves and our life, that, you know, I am healthy, I am rich, I am attractive, I'm six foot two, whatever else it might be, then those will come true, right? Whew, if only. Um, but this is not faith and prayer. This is not what Jesus means whenever he says, have faith in God, pray and believe as though it has already happened and it will be done for you. That is not what Jesus is talking about. The second thing, faith and prayer is not claiming what we desire. This is similar, but a slightly different version of the same error where what is taught to us is, and this is typically under the um, 
under a teaching called Word of Faith teaching, which tells us that all you need to do, you know, that God already has health for you, that God already has wealth waiting for you, that God already has all the wildest desires and dreams of your heart for you. You just have to claim it. You just have to you know, claim it for yourself. You got to name those blessings and claim them because they're already yours. This is also not what faith and prayer means. This is not what Jesus is talking about. In John 15 and 16, for example, where he says that whatever we ask in his name will be given to us. This is not what he is talking about. Because, you know, um, a couple weeks ago, me and uh, Justin and Ben, we went to an apologetics conference called Defend, and we got to listen to a good friend of mine, a phenomenal guy named Alex, uh, give a a lecture on the prosperity gospel, which Word of Faith is closely connected to. And later we got to go out to dinner and we were talking together about, you know, how do we thread the needle, right? Between Word of Faith error, just naming and claiming our blessings, but then doing things like praying for healing, like, like praying for uh, for those things that we desire, that we, that we want to see God do, or bringing our every need before him. How do we do these things? And he was so helpful. He said, you know, the difference is this. What, what the error is, is a sense of entitlement. All those things that you desire, the health, the wealth, the, um, and, and whatever else, you know, and I'm not even saying that those are bad things, but whatever you desire, you know, you're already entitled to it. You just got to, like, cash in that deposit from God right, what he has for you. He says, versus prayer is going to God in faith and making requests, right, based upon his will and in submission to his will. So it is not just positive affirmations. It is not just claiming what we desire. Third, faith and prayer is not a morality exercise. And what I mean by this is that we often have heard prayer, and especially great prayers, uh, fearless prayers, taught to us in a way where we are either explicitly or the message kind of between the lines is that, you know, if you can just believe enough, then God will answer your prayers. The reason that your prayers haven't been answered is because you didn't believe enough. This is also a branch of prosperity gospel teaching or word of faith, but it's, it, it can also creep its way into those churches that, that aren't clearly as clearly identified in those camps. Likewise, we also might be told that, you know, God just doesn't answer your prayers because you haven't uh, been, you haven't had great enough obedience. You haven't had great enough morality. You are not clean enough. You are not worthy enough. And so, like I said, it's usually not explicitly taught that way, but the assumption is, well, if you could just clean up your life some more, then you'd be a little bit more worthy of having your prayers answered. If you could just work up, you know, a little bit more faith and belief inside yourself, then God will answer your prayers. In all of these different forms of teaching, the assumption beneath them all is this, is that if I can just do the work, then he will reward me with the answer. Whether it's the work of conjuring up that faith in ourselves or the work of uh, cleaning up your life, trying to be more moral, morality exercises, what I call it. That is also not what faith and prayer means. But let me give you this last one, which 
you know, I'm kind of going in order from the most opaque and easy to see to the ones that are more subtle and harder to see, but I think is also errors we need to avoid as well. The last one, faith and prayer is also, with those things being said, faith and prayer is also not sheepish, dull, half-hearted requests. It's easy for us to see those errors and fall off in the ditch, especially in Orthodox churches and theologically, theologically conservative churches, such as uh, Redeemer, right? To see the errors of word of faith, prosperity gospel, um, laws of attraction, those kind of things. It's easy for us to see that and not fall off. But I think there's an opposite error that we tend to fall into because we are so afraid of that one. You know, it's like we're so afraid of falling off into this ditch that we dive in the other one. And that is that we, we, because we say, you know, we can't be like those prosperity gospel preachers. We can't be like those who are all about health and wealth and, uh, and, and believing that God is just going to give us every little thing. And so what we do is we dive off into the opposite direction of having these prayers that never really ask for anything. Where we just say, ah, whatever your will is, God. And we make them sound really pious and good. You know, they're filled with all these cliches about like hedges of protection and, uh, you know, you, you know what I'm talking about, these, these cliches that you hear in prayer. And it's usually in, once again, I'm speaking to our own tribe here of conservative uh, theological churches. You know, it's usually those people that we then like make uh, do like all the public praying. The ones who are really good at saying all those cliches and not really saying anything specific and not really uh, laying a bold faith-filled request before the Lord. They're sheepish, they're dull, they're half-hearted, they're cold. They don't move our hearts, and I don't believe they move the heart of God either. So yes, we cannot fall off into the error of name it and claim it, and so on, but we also cannot fall off into the error of making these dull, general, cold, sheepish prayers before the Lord. Because whenever I read the Bible, and the way that God tells us to come to him with our request, it doesn't sound like so many of the prayers that fill our evangelical churches. So we got to thread the needle here between these. That's what I'm trying to do this week and next week, really through this whole series. So what faith in prayer is, since we've looked at some of the things that it is not, you know, how often do you feel as though your prayers lack power and confidence? How often do your prayers feel forced? Whether it's in the church, whether it's in a group meeting, or even just by yourself, it just feels forced. You're really just doing that daily office of prayer in the morning or evening, or whenever it is that you do your private devotions. You usually go into that office more of a sense of obligation, because you know that it's something you're supposed to be doing as a follower of Christ. You know that it is a part of obedience to God. And now, you know, friends, there's times that we go through seasons of spiritual dryness where we're wrestling and so on, and we continue to obey God out of our duty and obligation to him, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I don't think it should be the, the typical experience. For too many of us, it, that is what's typical. It's dry, it's dull. We're just doing it out of a sense of obligation, but not because we believe that he will supply our every need. We go to God because, 
That's just what I'm supposed to do because I'm a Christian, right? And we don't leave that prayer room refreshed. What does it mean to have faith in prayer so we can pray more powerful prayers? Here's what it means. This is, like I said, my one point today. Faith in prayer is confidence that God really hears us and will answer us. Faith in prayer is confidence that God really hears us and that he will answer us. It is an assurance of all these things. Do you actually believe in the power of prayer? Because this is what faith in prayer means. If we actually truly believed, if we were convinced of it, in the same sense that we are convinced of the forces of gravity, right? In the same sense that we are convinced that, uh, that if I jump, I will come down. Are we equally as convinced of the force of prayer? Are we equally as convinced of the power of prayer? That whenever I go before the Lord, I will uh, bring my praises to him. I will bring my confessions to him. And they will be forgiven. He will hear me. And they will be washed away. I will bring my needs before him. He will hear those needs. And praying those needs before him will make a change in the world. What if we pray for those around us, and we hear of the suffering of people in our community, as we heard this morning during our announcements, do we actually believe that prayer can change that? And that if we do not pray, the situation will not change? Do we have such a confidence in prayer? Or, like I said again, is it something that we just think, ah, I just got to do it? It's just one of the things, right? It's just one of the things you got to do. It's just one of the boxes I got to check off. Or, Do we believe that prayer will actually change things? So often, we think that the effects of our prayers really kind of just depend on a whole host of other factors, but not that the changes that we see in life can actually be directly affected by the act of Christians praying. I'm going to give you two reasons. Two reasons to have faith in your prayer and to increase your faith. So two reasons to believe in the power of prayer and increase your faith. The first one is this. The size of your faith in prayer will depend on the size of your God. The size of your faith in prayer will depend upon the size of your God. Many of us believe in a small God who is incapable of accomplishing much. You do not pray great requests. You do not pray for uh, to, to see great works of God in your life or in the world because your God is too small. You don't believe in a big enough God. You don't see him as powerful enough to enact those things that we, that we see needing to be done and to happen in the world around us. Right? Maybe you believe that uh, you know, he's, he's forgiven me and I've been saved. You know, he sent Jesus to die for me. And, and I know that whole story, but you know, beyond that, he's not really interested in doing much more. Or we believe, you know, that maybe in a sense, intellectually, we believe that, you know, he's sovereign and he's in control of all things. But our prayers don't reflect that. Our prayers don't reflect a belief that if we humble ourselves and go before him, 
And we pray that he would act and that he would intervene and that he who is sovereign over all things, that he who is sovereign over even kings and rulers, it says, that he who is in control of, the, of, our, of every detail of our lives, we don't really believe that he who is sovereign over all these things can intervene and act and change things if we call upon him. For too many of us, we are believing in a God that is too small, not the one who is the sovereign Lord who acts in our world that we read about in the Bible. Similarly, some of us don't know the true God. Perhaps for some of us, our problem isn't even that, like, you know, we we believe in the God of the Bible, but we just don't know him enough Right? And we, we need to have greater faith in him, but we don't know the real God at all. This is obvious in cases where maybe you are following the God of another religion or a new age God, uh, for example. But it can also be the case where maybe your idea about who God is, what God has done, what God is doing is incorrect. It is wrong. Your ideas about who God is is not based off of what Scripture says, who God is and what he does, but just based off of your own assumptions. You know, maybe you're, you're not inspired to pray to the Lord to show how rich in mercy he is by raining his blessings down on us. Because he is a God made in your own image, and you're not that merciful. You're not that merciful. You wouldn't be that good to yourself. You wouldn't be that good if you were in God's position to someone like you. And so you're held back from praying to see his mercies, spiritual and temporal, from seeing his mercies poured out, from him showing how loving he is because he's really just a reflection of you. If you're serving that God, then you're never going to pray those big prayers. And pray to see just how rich in mercy he is. Maybe for some of us, that's why we have rejected God. Some of you here might be in a position today where, where you're, you're not even claiming to follow God. You're, you're rejecting God or you know, you're just not believing in God because you, know, you say he just doesn't add up to me. Or maybe for this reason or that. Let me just gently challenge you. It could be because you don't know the real God. You don't know the true God but instead one that's just based off of other people's ideas about him, maybe your own assumptions, but not what his word says, his own revelation to us. So that's the first one. Two reasons to believe and increase your faith, faith, to believe in a bigger God, the true God, the real God of Scripture. The second point, the size of your faith in prayer will be dependent on the degree that you believe in God's word. So the size of your faith in prayer is going to greatly be dependent on the size of your God and that you believe in the true God as revealed in scripture. But the second thing is that it will be dependent on the degree to which you believe in God's word. Now, listen, I'm not just talking about like the Bible generally. Many of us in here, and, and I'm sure all, all members of Redeemer, it's a part of our membership process that you say, I affirm the truthfulness of God's word. But I'm not even talking about it just generally speaking, but I'm talking about this. Whenever we come to passages like Mark chapter 11, verses 22 through 24, 
And we read what Jesus says here. I'm saying, do you really believe in those words? I'm saying, let's get specific. Let's, let's let the rubber meet the road. Let's go away. Let's step away from generalities down to the particular. Do you believe in Jesus's words here? Do you believe that he says, whenever he says this, that it is true? Have faith in God. If anyone says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, everything you pray and ask for, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Do you believe those words? For many of us, the answer is no. Because it's not just enough to say yes. Confessing belief is important, but you know what? If you believe those words, then faith is something that moves us. If you believe those words, if you had faith in God, then you would pray like Jesus challenged you to. You would pray and you would believe. You would pray trusting that what Christ said is true. That he said that if I go before the Father, that if I go before him not trusting in my own worthiness, but trusting in how rich in mercy he is, then he will hear me and answer me. If I go before the Lord, not trying to just work up and conjure faith inside of myself, but instead just look at how faithful he is. You know, faith in prayer and in, in, in the kind of faith that leads us to praying big things is dependent not upon us, like, like I said, just working it up inside of ourselves like a morality exercise, but it comes from just looking at how good he is looking at how good he is, looking at what he has done, looking at his faithfulness, looking at what Paul says, how he is rich in mercy, and he lavishes grace upon us, looking at how he has worked in the lives of believers in Scripture, looking at how he is working in the lives of uh, the, in the church, in the kingdom, in the world around us, looking at our own lives and how good he has been. And whenever I meditate on those things, then I have faith in that God. And it is faith in that God, not in my own power or goodness, that leads me to pray bold prayers, prayers that move mountains, because he is the God who is big enough to move the mountain. Do you believe God's words? Do you believe that God is still active in our world? Do you believe that he desires to save the lost? If you don't know him, the first step is to saying this, that you believe that he wants to save you, that he loves you, that he desires to show you his grace. Do you believe that he can deliver from addictions and from afflictions? Do you believe that he still heals? Like I said, we got to step out of the generalities and get specific and ask ourselves, do we believe these truths that he says about himself? And if we believe them, then we will act on that belief in prayer. Do you believe that God has ordained that prayer be the means by which he enacts his decrees in the world? There's this interesting thing when we look at the Bible, how frequently God says to his people, I have something that I want to do for you. You see, you can see this in several different places in the Old Testament, uh, you know, Jeremiah 29 being one of them. You know, we see things, we see God doing things in the New Testament. We know what his will is for his kingdom to advance, but he waits. 
He tells his people in the Old Testament, and we see it worked out in the New. God says to them, I have this great and mighty work that I want to do for you, but you have to pray. He says it in a bunch of different places. I have life for you, but you have to pray. In the book of Acts, we see that Jesus told his disciples in Acts chapter 1 that he wanted them, filled with the Holy Spirit, to take the gospel out into all nations. So his desire is that people, not just in Jerusalem, not just in Israel, but that in all of Judea, Samaria, in Galilee, and that in Ephesus, and that in Rome, and that in Spain, and that in China, and that in England, and France, and all the nations to come, that they would hear the gospel and follow him. This was his desire. But you know what happens whenever you read the book of Acts? There's this precedent that always takes place before God moves. They pray. What theologians have recognized is this, is that God is sovereign over our world, that he has foreknown and decreed all that he wills to take place. But you know what the mechanism is? that he has put in place to carry out his decrees, his people's prayer. In 2 Chronicles 7, 14, a passage we'll be looking at in a few weeks, he says, if my people who are called by my, my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. He desires to forgive sin and to heal. He says, what enacts that decree? His people's prayers. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, our prayers are God's decrees in another shape. The prayers of God's people are but God's promises breathed out of living hearts. And those promises are the decrees only put into another form and fashion. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God has great and wonderful things planned for Lafayette? But if only his people would pray. Do you believe that God has plans to advance the kingdom in Redeemer City Church? But if only we would pray. Do you believe that God has plans to free you from your addictions, sinners? But, only, but if only you would pray. Do you believe that God has plans to grow your faith and to invite you into deeper experiences of his love, as Paul prays about in Ephesians chapter 3? But if only we would pray. Now, you might say to yourself, if God is sovereign and has foreknown all that he will do and has foreordained that all he desires will, uh, and, and wills will come to pass, then why does he need our prayers? Why does he decide then, this sovereign God, that it will come about as a result of his people praying? It's a good question. Let me answer it with another question. Parents, do you know how much joy it brings to grant your child's request? This past Friday, me and my son uh, a bunch of you guys know, maybe you don't, I, so I have a son and a daughter. My daughter, uh, we dropped her off at school, and me and my son had a father-son day together. Boys, boys time, we call it. So we had some boys time together. And whenever I get to have some father-son time or some daddy-daughter time, we'll call it when we're with Nora, um, 
you know, I, what I like to do is I like to say, hey, we're going to have this time together. What do you want? What do you want to do? And I have some ideas already in my mind, but I'll say, what do you want to do? And, you know, they know that typically we'll, we'll go to the lab together, the coffee shop. And, you know, so Gideon got to have ice cream at like 8 a.m. this past Friday. <laughs> he had ice cream for breakfast. But you know what else? I wanted to really just knock his socks off. I wanted to bless him. And so I wanted to take him to the Sky Zone. They call it the jumpy place. They love it. It's so much fun. And so I desired to give him that. You know, I desired to show him just some, some love and to bless him and to make him excited. But I didn't just say it. I said, hey, what do you want to do? Anything you want, just tell me. What do you want to do? And he kind of knew, okay, we'll probably go to the lab. He was like, but beyond that, I don't know. He was nervous to ask for something big, you know, like going to the jumpy place. He, he was nervous. Something was holding him back. And I said, what do you want, buddy? Anything. He's like, I don't know. So finally I said to him, do you want to go to the jumpy place? He said, yeah, I want to go to the jumpy place. Let's do that. I said, okay, we're going to go. And you know what? There's something, and like I said, parents, you know this. There's something different. I could have just said, hey, we're doing this, and he would have been excited, and that's great. But there's something different whenever you get to, there's a joy, a fuller joy that comes whenever you get to grant the desires of your child's heart. That's why for Christmas and birthdays, we don't just get the things for each other that we kind of know one another wants, but we ask, what do you want? Because it brings the recipient joy to get something they want, but it also brings the giver joy to show them, hey, look, I love you and I'm giving you what you asked for. There's greater joy to be shared whenever they ask and you answer. Why does the Lord decree, though he is sovereign, why does he ordain that his decrees and his will should be carried out by the request of his people? There's a lot of answers. There's more. We could get really deep into that, but let me just give you that one. Because there is greater joy to be shared between God the Father and his people. Whenever he says, here's my will for you, now ask for it. And we ask and he answers. There is a more complete joy. There's, there's a closer bonding that happens in the relationship between God and his people whenever we ask and he answers. And we ask and he answers, which is why he has decreed that. And so we can have confidence. We can have faith in knowing that he desires that we ask. He desires, he has decreed for us to make requests because it is his joy to answer the request of his sons and daughters. Oh, but we might still have a little bit of doubt. We can say, but how can we really know? We can really know that he takes pleasure in answering all the requests of his sons and daughters because Jesus, the son, in the garden before his crucifixion, made a request to the father. He said, he started out by saying, I'm submitted to your will, and I know that you can do all things. But if you could let this cup pass from me, that cup that he was talking about was the cup of God's wrath, that he would drink, that he would take upon himself the wrath that should have been poured out on you and I for our sin, for our rejection of God, for our choosing our own way, our own wisdom over God. That wrath that should have been ours was placed before Christ. And he said, Lord, I know you can do anything. Right? He had faith in God. He said, and so if you could make this cup pass from me, right? if there could be any other way, 
And God said to him, no. And he would have to take the cup. He would take the cup and he would die. He would take the wrath of God that should have been ours upon himself. In, in Isaiah, in the Song of the Suffering Servant, it, it says, it's another one of those passages that has always wrecked me. It says, for it pleased him to bruise him. God bruised the son. He said no to the son. As we sing, he turned his face away so that Jesus would drink that cup down for us, that he would take the penalty for our sin upon himself. And then the wrath that should have been poured out upon us would instead be turned to favor and mercy poured out upon us. Grace poured out upon us. Where we once stood in the place of judgment, we are now sitting at a table of grace. Where we once should, all of our answers to uh, prayer should have been a no. Where once we should have been the ones who the Father turns his face away from, that he withholds his Holy Spirit from. Instead, it was done upon Christ so that for us, all of our prayers before him are in Christ, are yes and amen. So you say, well, how can I know? How can I really, what can I stake my life upon to pray like this? It is his faithfulness and love proven once and for all in the work of Jesus Christ. And knowing that, that he who through his power raised Jesus from the dead, we now go to in prayer asking for that same power of new life upon ourselves and our world. Therefore, we have confidence in our God. And that faith, that confidence, that trust is expressed in great prayer. Let us go to the Lord. Lord, break through the walls of sin that we build up. Break through the defenses that we erect before you. Break through them. Lord, break through the work of the enemy that tries to fog our minds and hearts and create distance and, and dull our souls to your working. Break through, Lord, and give us great faith. Let us know you in such a way that we read your words, such as the words we read here, and that we stake our life upon them. That we trust that you have good plans for our lives, that you have good plans for Redeemer, that you have good plans for your kingdom in Acadiana, and that you have ordained that these plans would be enacted through the prayers of your people. Lord, help us to believe these things this morning. Unite us in Christ so that our hearts are shaped by your heart and our wills are in line with your will so that we might pray all things that we desire and that we believe and bring every need before you in the name of Jesus and believe that those that we pray in accordance with your will in the name of Jesus, that you will answer. We pray these things in his name. Amen.